welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Bit of a special treat on today's episode. I've got Maui Guevara, part of our advisory team here at Pursuit. Maui's another Pursuit rock star. And he and I talk all things client and law firm, demand, supply, and AI. How about that? Demand, supply, and AI. And what we think, we talk about what the history has been around demand and supply for legal services and what we think the future may hold given the impact that we're seeing, the early impact that we've seen with the likes of ChatGPT and other language learning models. How is AI going to impact on the future demand and supply of high-value legal services? So I think you're going to enjoy the episode. We have a bit of fun there too. I challenge Maui not to predict or bet against law firms because every time you have that bet, you lose. Well, certainly I've lost. It's a great discussion. I know you're going to enjoy it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Hey, Maui, how are you? Doing well, Jim. Doing well. Excellent. Excellent. Now, Maui, just last week, you did a presentation internally to the team here at Pursuit on demand supply, the history and the future of legal services in law firms. There are some incredible takeaways. I want you to run through the presentation now. The only difference now will be you'll have me interrupting every minute or two, but that's okay because it's going to get a conversation going. So just uh, of course, <laughs> just run through the presentation and let's kick off the discussion. Of course, and I think it'll really be actually valuable to have you on the call and have this back and forth because you have the perspective of the partner. You have the perspective of someone that actually sat in the seat of the big law. As I kind of lead into this presentation, this is a little bit of my conspiracy theory. This is me looking at the industry, looking at this data, connecting the dots, and I, I'm arguing essentially of what the legal industry has been doing for the last couple of years to sustain what I think is a very economically unique model, right? I'm sourcing most of my material from a Thomson Reuters state of the legal industry report that they conduct. But essentially, the first thing I want to highlight is that the growth and demand for legal services has essentially been flat for almost more than a decade, right? If you're looking at this starting from 2008 to 2021, the only big blip there is in 2021 when there was a big rush of transactional value work. But if you look at the last 10 years, you even it out, you're essentially at a 3% growth rate over 10 years. So to, to me, that's super interesting because, as you know, law firms are making money every single year. Their profits are growing. Their revenues are growing. So where is that coming from, if not the demand side? So that's the big thing. So if I look at this graph between, you're right, the last 10 years has effectively been minimal growth in the demand for legal services. And I know you're going to get into this, but that does not jive um, with the PPEP figures, the profit per equity partner figures that we've seen in recent history. 
dive into that for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. The PPEP, the revenue, the profits, everything. It, it just doesn't, you know, if you look at it from a very macro level, something wonky is going on. Something's happening on the supply side. The demand side clearly isn't having it. And then just to give some numbers for this year, you know, Wells Fargo just actually released also their survey that looks at that demand, looks at that kind of productivity of law firms. It's the lowest it's been in the first quarter of 2023 in like in a decade, in over a decade. 1600 hour billable hour pace is what they're seeing, which is super low um, for anyone that knows what is expected in the industry. So it's, it's not really happening, right? And this is my argument. This is my theory of what law firms have essentially done. They've done three things. The first thing is they've increased supply capacity. So what they're doing is they're swallowing up as many associates and partners as they can so that they can take the biggest portion of that pie, of that shrinking pie, right? That non-growing pie. So what they're doing is paying associates as, as high as possible so they have the capacity to do more hourly rates and hourly billing. And then with that, how you also defeat kind of the inflationary pressures or the inflationary economic conditions is you jack up your hourly rates. So not only do you capture more of this kind of shrinking or stagnant pie, you make that pie more expensive for everyone that's buying it. And then another thing that they're driving to is lateral activity, right? Non-inorganic growth of these law firms. We just saw that A&O, Sherman Sterling uh, merger that's going to be happening fairly soon. We see tons of lateral activity almost every day of partners moving from one firm to another. They're kind of just shuffling around where the volume is going, of where the stagnant volume is going, and creating this inorganic growth and revenue and growth in kind of their income stream. So this is my kind of argument, and I'd love to walk through some of the data that I think really supports this. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on this too, Jim. So and I think the way you, I've heard you put it said that the, the pie remains the same size. So the question is, how can you eat more of it, given that the pie itself is not increasing? So this is what you're really talking about here. You can eat more of it by capturing more of the demand, and you do that by increasing your capacity to supply, and you increase your hourly rates. So it's funny, I've heard a banker provide business advice to law firms before, and the advice, I heard it year in, year out with our bankers too, and they would say, look, your business model is really, really simple. Keep your lawyers busy and keep increasing your hourly rates. That's it. If you do that, <laughs> and I think the extra layer you're talking about, get more lawyers and keep them busy and keep increasing your hourly rate. It's a pretty simple business model. Yeah. And, and it's a business model that you think would not normally work, but legal is a little bit of a captive audience. Lawyers have that expertise. Lawyers have those connections. They have those experience that is needed by these corporate departments. So they know it's kind of like buying food at the airport. They know that they can charge those prices. And, and, the, data, and the data shows that, right? So if we look at, you know, if you look at, for example, full-time employment growth uh, for lawyers, you see that it's not flat. Year over year, they've been growing their ranks. It's hovering around that one and a half, two percent peaked in 2021, of course, with the transaction work. Now we're actually seeing something very interesting where it's flat. And that's because lawyers, law firms are being forced to actually lay off 
defer, and we were seeing this on the news, their ranks because they're not seeing attrition. So they were still on a hiring ramp up. They were still being very optimistic. The macroeconomic conditions changed. They expected that they would get some attrition. They're not getting attrition. So that's why on the news, you're seeing this because in their mind, they're panicking a little bit. They're overstaffed. They got a little too overzealous in capturing the ability to you know, meet that supply side. So that's what we're seeing. But yeah, it beats demand. So they're growing lawyers faster than they're growing demand, right? So that's the first kind of change point. Next is the worth great growth, the worked rate growth. It's that black line that you see up here. And then inflation is actually the yellow line. So you see, since 2007, hourly rate increases have beat inflation consistently until the anomaly last year where we had crazy inflation spike. But even then, the law firms just aggressively increased rates to at least match that inflationary pressure. I don't think there's going to be any surprise for anyone in the industry listening to this on that conclusion that hourly rate increases have outpaced inflation in the past and have effectively matched even the spike of inflation, if I look at your graph here, the recent spike. So, yeah, no surprises there, Maui. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's how they're, again, able to do this, this kind of funky relationship of that. But, but what's, what's the impact, right? What's happening now? And what's been happening now is that these same lawyers are being less productive. There's, not, there's no growth in the billable hours. So if there's no growth in the billable hours, but there's more lawyers they're going to be doing less billable hour work. So, you know, this is the current condition. This is what's happening. Pace is dropping and lawyer attrition is flat. Yeah. Right. So on your graph here, I can see a pretty steady decrease. Wow. From 2007 through to now, through to now in relation to the, yeah, the hours work per month. But that's okay, Maui, as long as the rate increases sufficiently the hourly rate and the pace of that inc increases sufficiently that will outstrip lower number of hours billed but there's a well as long as that happens now is that going to continue happening that's the question exactly and that is the question and some of these things you know the law firm model and the law firm is not going to change until it actually hits their bottom line and I think what they're doing is they're missing some of these indicators that are already happening in the market. So this is just a chart of expense growth, right? So this is the race for associates. The traditional model, again, was to build up your ranks, shore up your ranks, pay associates more, attract more of them. And that's driving this increase in compensation, right, for that supply. So the costs are increasing for these firms. Their profits are shrinking and there's going to come a point where demand's not growing and clients are going to push back on hourly rates. This model is no longer going to be sustainable, nor is it going to work. Now, Maui, now, Maui, let me just, let's hold up there. I learned a while ago not to bet against law firms, okay? And I say that because for time immemorial, the industry has been saying, whether it's the billable hour, whether it's the law firm's financial model, it can't, it's not sustainable, won't work. And every prediction in the past to that effect has been wrong. So 
So I stopped predicting the demise of big law a while ago because I kept losing that bet. Really smart people running law firms end up working out a way to continue to be profitable. But the reality is in the past, it's been a one or two trick pony. It's been, well, just keep your lawyers busy and keep increasing rates. And so far, the market has accepted that. So, so why do you think it may well be now is this time is going to be different? OK, the old every time you hear this time is going to be different, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you get nervous. So, so tell me. why. Yeah, and I agree with you. That's exactly what the data actually shows. Right. You'll see here. This is the annual profit per equity partner growth. Over that same time period, it's been positive since 2010. It was a little bit negative last year, but we're on pace again to be positive this year. So we only had one down year since 2010, essentially, in PPEP growth. The champagne continues to flow, man. Exactly. And, okay. Yep. <laughs> and this year, it's 4.7% so far, Q1 2023. So, so what are we talk- looking at here? Are we talking about PPEP growth here? Revenue or? growth. Revenue growth. Okay. Revenue growth is 4.7%. Okay. But you're right. Something has changed. You know, it kind of winter is coming for the big law firms a little bit. And what exactly is that? And I think the big thing that's happening now, which I'm sure everyone is aware of, is the advent of large language models, the high utility and distribution now of usable AI. AI has been in the forefront, I think, for the last decade or so. People have been talking about it, even in the legal space. But no one really faced up to what you can actually do until very recently. You know, People are no longer aware of this, but ChatGPT is only six, seven months old. It was released you know, in the last, like, later end of, of, of the, exactly, of last year. So it's super young, it's super emerging, and there's already a race to develop all these tools. I read an article recently where there are already 10 companies in 2023 that have raised more than a billion dollars and they're AI focused companies. So there's already, you know, over 10 unicorn AI based companies out there. And we know some of the law firm focused ones. Let's take us through. Why do we think that will change the law? Well, that will have an impact, let's say, on the law firm business model? Of course. So there's there's four things that I think are really going to drive it. One, you know, just macro, high level, holistically, Goldman Sachs issued a report essentially saying 44% of any legal work being conducted today will be either entirely replaced or impacted heavily by artificial intelligence. So what does that tell you from a law firm side? What does that tell you from an in-house side? It's going to change a lot of the dynamic in that work, right? Looking at the supply side, supply side shock, it changes the entire, you know, this is where I'm actually really interested to hear your perspective on it, but it changes the entire relationship and track of that associate partner model. Because if you are a partner, what is your incentive to go find associates, staff them, train them, do all these things with them? If you can just search the same exact research, the same exact drafting, the same exact contract work, the same exact expertise, even probably more so, right, in front of your computer on an AI tool in minutes. Well, uh, I'll tell you your incentive. 
something that take five, takes five minutes is going to be pretty difficult to charge for, certainly on a time-based model, incentivise as a partner to get something done really quickly. I am incentivised to continue generating hours, if you like, to deliver that service. So that's the, uh, unless I'm compelled to do otherwise, okay? So, and this is the question, isn't it? If it's the, yeah, if it's the case that a lot of the work that was otherwise taken by graduate uh, third, fourth, fifth year lawyers can be now done or there will be a path where we'd, by which it can be quickly done by some kind of language learning model. That if that is the case, then only two things, I think, is going to drive um, a change in behaviour so that law firms will be looking to adopt, let's say, AI or whatever the language learning model is. Okay, one, obvious, if the demand side, that is the clients, if they require it, or second, if the competition is offering it. Okay, so it's got to be one of those two things. Now, now as at Pursuit, we've always said the change of behaviour on the law firm side has to be driven by the demand side, by the clients, by the general counsels, by the in-house teams. And to date, it's fair to say that has that hasn't been as widespread. It happens in pockets, but there's still a significant amount of inertia around the way legal services has been delivered. And that time has continued to be the currency of value. That's till now, because I think the accelerant, which nobody saw coming, is obviously chat GPT and equivalent AI models or language learning models, because now the question is being asked by the demand side, well, hang on, do I now actually, I think I've just realised I don't have to pay for all of that work or all of the work that now can be done much more quickly. So I think that is the difference now. There, I think there was there just wasn't the belief or the understanding that that work, that kind of work is no longer necessary and can be done much more efficiently. So that's the question. Is that what we're going to see happen? And I think that's where you're heading. No, I I agree with you completely. And, and that's kind of the next piece, right? Like the demand shock, the demand side shock. So the law firm isn't the only one that's going to get more efficient. These tools aren't going to be limited to law firms. In-house teams are also going to start having these tools, which means two things. That demand pie that we saw earlier, that's essentially been flat, it's going to start being negative. Internal teams are going to be able to swallow and consume more of this work internally because what's better for them to ask for advice and contract drafting from a partner who then assigns it to an associate or they log into their AI tool that does it for them in five minutes, right? And so those lawyers, those law firms, they're not going to know why their phones stop ringing. Their phones are just going to stop ringing. They're not even going to feel it. They're not going to see it coming these clients are just going to start implementing this. So it's two uh, two points of pressure. One being 
the clients understand, hey, I could do this very easily. That firm should be able to do it very easily. Why are they charging me to do it? You know, would you go to a doctor that still uses tools from the 1990s? Right? Like, <laughs> how does a doctor justify to you that they're using a bone saw, like a hand bone saw? When they're amputating you or, or doing, I, th- I think that might be, I think that might be eighteen nineties Maui. But anyway, yeah, but that's you know that's the point. It's a very caricature point. Yeah, it's a very caricature point. But I don't think you know clients are not going to go to the law firm that is doing an antiquated style of business, particularly if they're very competent and know that they internally do a very sophisticated business, which all these corporate departments are going to be doing. Yeah, I think you're there. They are the two points. I think they are the two key drivers. One, in-house teams will work out, and will be forced to work out because they'll be asked by by the C-suite. They'll be asked by the CEO, "What work were we sending out before? Can um, ChatGPT or other language learning models? What work can now be done house?" now be done in-house, that's going to happen. Every CEO is going to be asking that question. That's number one. And then number two, having been asked of themselves what work can they now do in-house, they will be asking of their law firms, so GCs and in-house legal teams will be asking of their law firms, what work can now you do through AI that I as an in-house attorney, as a general counsel, do not have to pay now on the basis of hourly rates. Those two things, Maui, they are closely related and they will drive each other. Those two things, I think, is what we're going to see in terms of demand shock. And I think, yeah. All right, so there are so If that is right and my initial reluctance to bet against big law if that let's say those two things are right you know there's going to be a significant demand shock both because in-house teams will be doing more in-house using language learning models and because they'll be insisting their law firms do the same so there there's the demand shock but we know we know not to bet against big law how are those things going to marry up? I've got some thoughts. I'd, I'd be interested interested to hear whether you've got any thoughts as to how how big law is going to react and and what are they going to put in place? Yeah, you, you know what's really funny is I actually want to jump into this other report that uh, just recently was provided or that recently just got issued. So this one is a uh, Cushman Wakefield and ALM, and essentially they asked the their law firm you know cadre some pretty interesting things so the first question they asked was hey over the next 12 months what are the following strategies that your firm is going to be taking to maintain or increase your profits it's the exact same thing that we were just been talking about so no change in the immediate future law firms are not freaking out about ai right they're going to build business internally with the clients they already have but as we know the demand isn't growing there so what does that actually mean rate increases Recruit more laterals, so inorganic growth, <laughs> and then facilitate growth through expansion by increasing headcount. So the top three things that all these law firms are planning are essentially the same. Model, business as usual, model isn't going to change. But the interesting thing is if you then kind of towards the end of this report, 
there is a great takeaway question about AI. So this one kind of is counterintuitive to that model that they were talking about up there because they asked the same firms, you know, are you exploring augmenting your work with AI? And only 41% said no. And if you drill down into the AMLA, that number becomes even smaller. Like in the AMLA 1250, only 17% are not exploring AI solutions currently, right? 17% already are using AI. You know, AO just announced a big partnership with Harvey recently, and many other firms are, you know, PWC also is doing the same thing, even though they're just tangentially related to legal. So I think they're seeing the wave. I think they're underestimating the wave, but they're seeing the wave and, and they're trying to really think about how their business model can survive this type of change. Uh, I think that they are still being very optimistic. I, I was on a recent AI webinar with, where a partner actually from a big law firm said, oh, I don't care if they replace all the $5,000 matters. I'm looking for that $5 million matter. And the AI expert said, I'm a former lawyer. That $5 million matter is built on $5,000 activities. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good that's a good comeback i think that's absolutely right yeah so i i think that's where it is right like they're gonna start feeling that erosion they're gonna start feeling that pressure i think we're a year two years away from a client billing guideline saying you can't charge me for contract review i was gonna uh, you beat me to the punch i was gonna ask exactly that question but why are we a year or two away why shouldn't today as a general counsel of head of legal operations, why shouldn't you be asking your law firms, at least, can you justify why I should now be paying for these categories of work? And go, no, research, drafting, document collation, summaries, you've got, you know, that we know the kind of language. Here's my prediction. I think we're going to start seeing those questions being asked by in-house teams, and they should be pretty quickly. That's what I would be asking because, because it seems to me, and then what is going to happen, firms will be forced to justify. And look, don't get me wrong, there's going to be the usual blockers, privacy, confidentiality, your data, et cetera, et cetera. But... They might be little hurdles, but they will not prevent, I think, a pathway to the end state. And the end state is going to be that clients, they will not accept being billed for work that can be done by language learning models, by any kind of augmented AI. So when I think about Maui, I go, what does that mean? How do lawyers get trained? Okay, if that work starts disappearing, so that's... I don't think I have an answer right now to that. What happens to the graduates first, second, third year? How do they get trained? Now, it may well be the answer that, look, most of the training was terrible anyway because you used to get stuck in document rooms or you, you know, reviewing endless um, agreements and pulling out change of control clause or whatever it is. So, in fact... The old training wasn't great training anyway. So anyway, so there's a huge question mark there. But I, I'd be interested in your views on this because I wonder whether 
that something like this might happen, that you get a kind of a, almost like a, a bifurcation of work so that there's a whole level of work that you can't charge for anymore as a law firm. But, and there's this but, there's a new level of work, which is the layer above, um, which is now high value premium work, which you might be charging out at twice the hourly rate or three times the hourly rate because the nature of work is going to be different. Now, law firms will be presented with drafts, contracts, advices, whatever it might be, drafts that have been generated by language learning models and the role of the law firm will be to verify, confirm, amend the accuracy of let's say a first draft, a second draft, perhaps even a final draft. And for that level of work, which will take a lot less time, but is the real high value work, that law firms might be able to charge a, a premium of some kind or, or at an hourly rate that we haven't seen yet, a higher hourly rate. I, I wonder whether that kind of bifurcation um, might take place so the law firms that work out very quickly how to get right into that top layer um, and deliver in that top layer um, can actually charge premium for it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, my thoughts on it, there's a couple of things that may happen. This is my mind what might happen out there in the universe one is that you're going to start seeing a lot more one lawyer per matter models where it's one lawyer no longer a team of lawyers working on matters because that lawyer can now 10x 100x 1000x their productivity and their ability to actually address the challenges that those clients have. Two, even with that bifurcation why i think it's going to be challenging to go back to the hourly model is because AI is the worst that it's ever going to be today. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. not going to get Correct. any worse. Yeah, it's not yep. going to be any worse tomorrow. And there are already tools and companies out there developing interview the document type of tools where a lawyer doing that same work that you said can essentially sit there and just say, hey, according to the statute, you know, would this contract supply or would this contract comply? with the, you know, the legal ramifications or regulatory requirements of, of this jurisdiction. So even that research bit, it's not going to take 10 hours. It's going to take 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So I don't see a world where they're charging $20,000 an hour, right, just to make up for that gap in the hourly billing. So I think there is, I agree with you that there will be that bifurcation of value but firms are going to have to start thinking really hard and in-house teams are going to have to start thinking really hard about how they actually allocate that value. What is actually determining that? And I think, you know, I, that's why I'm super excited to be at Pursuit because one of the ways that we're actually being part of this is that we're capturing some of that through the fixed fees that are running on our platform. We're becoming a marketplace. We're almost becoming like a stock exchange where we have sellers, we have buyers, they're putting up a number for it. We're throwing away the concept of how much time does it actually cost to do this. And we're starting to gather that data. We're starting to understand that. I think a lot of this data is still built on hourly rates. But as these, you know, as this change happens and as more of our clients put fixed fees to pursuits, firms get more sophisticated in how they calculate that fixed fee, 
away from the hourly model, our pricing is just going to get you know more true to the market, more true to the value. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So you've heard me say before, Maui, that we always had the ambition that pursuit would you know kill the billable hour, would destroy time as a currency of value between clients and law firms. And we've been beaten to the punch by ChatGPT, which has absolutely annihilated the concept that time equals value. So there's got to be a new currency of exchange, if you like, a new currency of value. Obviously, we've always been of view. It's got to be outcome-driven. It can't be time driven and it just feels like this is an accelerant to that kind of outcome driven approach. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think the model too of, you know, why the reason why it, it beats us so well is because there's just a lot of things that are sticky in terms of the structure of how a law firm views itself financially. It's very tied to the hourly model, how they account for costs, profitability, you know, pace, how they even look at DEI sometimes and assign all that work. So there's some hard thinking that they have to do, which they never actually had to been forced to do, but now they're going to have to. It's something that is actually leveraging them uh, or, or leaning on them that's not totally reliant on clients asking for it. It's a macroeconomic condition that's going to force it on them. Uh, yeah, but uh, and to, just to understand what, why or one of the reasons why that resistance to, to having to change the model. It's not only conceptually difficult, but in truth, the fight, if you think about the fight, the whole, the, if you like, the financial systems of law firms and that, the way they are measured, paid, it is all based on hourly billing. So it's not just a conceptual change. It's a, we have to change the way we actually work, which means operating systems, which means your accounting system, financial system, billings, all of that. I've heard before the resistance is not necessarily coming from just the partners, but the finance team, the CFO, because it requires a rethink and a hard change to systems that have that have underpinned, if you like, and just that are basically the, the foundation for a way a, a law firm operates. And that's that's not easy in any organization. So you can, without being sympathetic to, I can certainly understand the challenges around around the change that we're seeing and adoption of that change from a law firm perspective. Uh, 100% agree. That's why I said that one to two year. I was being nice. <laughs> um, well, that, so, so give me, it's interesting. So when will the demand side insist on it and how long will the supply, you know, the clients and how long will the supply side take to actually react? The other pressure is going to be this. I think a, a couple of the, the, um One, if I'm right in saying the CEOs of major organisations will be asking their GCs, what is your AI strategy, okay, and how are you doing it internally and how are you insisting on it from your external service providers? That's number one. But number two, and this is something I've heard several general counsels talk about 
which I think is incredibly impactful. The large consulting firms out there, the McKenzie's, the Bain & Co, the big four, they will be coming to the CEO, to the C-suite, and they will be offering to transform the legal department with AI tools, the processes, the ways of working, everything, and they will be creating entire business service lines around helping organisations basically transform their legal department because they will see it as the lowest hanging fruit and the department which to date has arguably been a laggard in terms of digitisation and the adoption of, you know, essentially the adoption of technology. So I've heard general counsels talk about this is something that we now have to embrace in order for our, essentially, as a survival strategy, because we don't, if we as general counsels don't take ownership of our own destiny and the legal department, the destiny of our legal department, then somebody else will. Be interested in your thoughts on that, Maui, because I think when I think about powerful. I think about, well, the, the, the prospect that if you don't do something, somebody else will do it for you and you lose control. I think that could be a real, well, a, a real driver for change in the legal industry. But uh, be interested if you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think, you know, we get so focused on legal, sometimes we forget they're one department in a larger organization. That CEO is thinking about AI, even if that chief legal officer is not, or that GC is not. And so if there's a broader push, just because, you know, a lot of these companies publicly traded, have stockholders, have shareholders, whatever that may be, there's going to be pressure, particularly now that everybody can log on to ChatGPT and type silly things and they see, oh my God, this is amazing. They're going back to the GCs, you know, they're going, you know, these board members are going and asking like, are you thinking about this? What are you doing about this? And they're being forced. There's so many just external pressures beyond just the next person up above you telling you to do it. That person has people around them that are telling them to do it. So it's really interesting to see how pervasive and quickly this technology has gotten people's attention and got gotten people's imaginations going. And I, I completely agree with you with those consulting companies pitching this type of work, uh, some of them are already issuing their first annual reports on AI and things like that, right? They're already working on things to establish themselves as the expert in AI implementation and, and AI workarounds and, and work products. So we're already seeing that, yeah. Yeah, and one final story I'll finish off with. So I had coffee yesterday morning with a general counsel and she had been asked by, and she was general counsel, basically one of the business divisions, she had been asked by her chief legal officer at a major corporation here, with a head office here in New York, and she had been asked by her CLO, what is our legal department's AI strategy? And if you don't have an answer to that question, you better have one pretty soon. And the anecdote that 
he had told her was this. He's actually a professor at a law school and credit to him, over 70 years old. And here's what he's, he tasked his law students with. He said, I want you to use chat GPT to generate a particular kind of contract. And then I want you to mark up any changes to the contract that ChatGPT produced. And if you can't mark up any substantive or valuable changes, then you cannot add value to ChatGPT. So I thought, what a fantastic example for a young lawyer, a law student, to assess whether they can add value. Because if they can't improve on the contract in that particular case that ChatGPT produced, then they're not adding any value. So I thought that was two things. One, an illustration of what we're talking about, that the pressure will be on uh, general counsels and in-house legal teams to start developing an AI strategy. That's number one. And, and number two, each one of us, or certainly each, each lawyer, should be thinking in terms of what can AI do and what can I do which is better, which adds value? Because if I can't, I should be looking at something else in terms of the work I'm focused on, the practice area, the skills I'm looking to deliver. And so testing yourself against what a language learning model can deliver or, or, or AI more broadly, I think it's a great kind of touchstone <laughs> for your personal and professional development as a lawyer. A hundred percent. Hundred percent, and to that final story to just adding that ChatGPT is trained on the internet, which is a lot of junk. <laughs> so the new wave of AI that's being developed and is already being beta tested, like Harvey and Case Text and Spellbook and all these things, which are actually trained on legal, actual legal work. I would challenge the same thing to a partner, not even a law student. I would tell a partner the same thing. Hey, ask the AI to this AI to draft the contract. If you can't add value, I would start thinking about your business model and how you're going to get clients to pay you, you know, 1500 an hour. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Maui, great stuff. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.